1: Welcome to The Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It's a nice day here in Starkville, a little bit overcast, kind of windy today. Probably not the best day to to get out and go by the pool or anything, even though some people are starting to do that sort of thing. Water's still a little bit cool, but uh, anyway, it's a nice day here. A lot's going on. A lot has changed since we have been together, not necessarily... You know, with uh, with Mississippi State sports, but um, the NCAA announced today uh, some information from their working group that is uh, spending some time trying to find a solution to this name, image, and likeness issue that's uh, kind of affecting the NCAA. We're going to get into some of that today. We're going to get into some of the one-time transfer tub stool and how all that is really kind of connected. I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate that the fact that you could have both of these issues of legislation change and one could impact the other in a very major way and significantly change the landscape of college athletics. We're going to get into some of that today. Want to also take some time to, to, uh, to give a tip of the cap for everybody out there yesterday that did the, the wall set in the memory of Alex Wilcox former Mississippi state softball player that died of ovarian cancer. A lot of people were doing that. Uh, really excited about the, uh, Soccer team for what they did. Very innovative in their approach to uh, to honor a fallen bulldog. And so uh, a lot of people did it. I didn't do it. I don't know that I could do a wall sit for 428. I can certainly try. I know our media peer, Ty Horka, he did it. So, tip of the cap for all those folks for participating in all of that. I, I'll be honest with you, I spent the day yesterday uh, working on a chapter on Eric Underwood about the 1987 Egg Ball. That was one of our few wins in the 80s. The first one um, for Rocky Felker, you know, when he won uh, against Ole Miss in in 87. And Eric Underwood, you know, was one of those guys, part of that quarterback competition to replace Don Smith. And Don Smith, obviously, a legend at Mississippi State. I don't know that Don, you know, you younger guys maybe don't fully appreciate how great Don Smith was at Mississippi State. You can go look up that 85 win, uh, excuse me, that 86 win against Tennessee, and you can see what he did. At Neyland Stadium, not a lot of people have done that. That's, that's a tremendous win in Mississippi State history, and really, when we got off to that six and one start in '86, people said, "You know what? We're going. Here we go. Here we go. We're six and one, and we're headed down Murderer's Row." And at the time, Auburn, Alabama, LSU all ranked in the top fifteen in the country. And then we played Ole Miss in the end. And by the time we got to the Egg Bowl, we'd been beaten down so much. We ended the year six and five. We scored 12 points those final four games of the year, 12 points combined against those final four teams. And uh, what's interesting, too, I have never seen any documents to confirm this, but I've had many people who were around at the time that shared with me when State was six and one, the Liberty Bowl offered Mississippi State a bowl bid. We were six and one, ranked 13th in the country, coming off the one over Tulane. Headed to Alabama, we were offered the Liberty Bowl then, and we turned it down, thinking that no, we're going to win a couple games down the stretch. We don't want to. We want to take a lower bowl bid now, and then uh, you know put ourselves kind of in a in a, an agreement that takes us out of contention for a bigger bowl game down the stretch. Well, we end the year on a four game losing streak and out of the bowl picture. So just one of those things that is a bad decision. Um, you know, I also understand, too, at the time, you probably think, you know, if we had settled for the bowl game at 6-1, and one, said, okay, we're going to go to Liberty, and say it leaks out, and then all of a sudden, you know, we start losing a couple ball games, our fans would have said, you know what, we're, we've shown our players we don't believe in them. That's why we took this minor bowl game, and that's why they're playing the way they are. But the bottom line is those teams are better than us, but um, be that as it may. Enjoy going down memory lane and having a chance to relive some of that and capture some of those stories for you guys. Looking forward to you guys having a copy of the new Stark Villains book. If you want to get Flim Flim or the first Stark Villains, you can get that at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Remind you, our good friends, Bulldog Burger Company, open and ready to serve you. That family special, doing really well. A lot of people taking advantage of that family special. And If you haven't heard about it, let me go ahead and reiterate it for you. Here's what you get. You get four bulldog burgers. That's the actual bulldog. That's not just any four burgers. You don't get to pick and choose, but you get four bulldogs, a signature bulldog burger, four orders of French fries and a gallon of sweet tea for $29.95. It's a great deal. Everybody's going to get full. Everybody's going to get exactly what they want. You know those healthy portions they give you at Bulldog Burger Company when you're in store? You get the same with a to-go order. So go ahead and take advantage of that. Two locations now to serve you. Right here, the flagship on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get into a few things here. Let's try to unpack what we can know. I have read over most of this literature, but there I'm, I'm sure there will be some things that I have missed. But I, I want to give you some of the high points here. You know, The first thing everybody thinks about with name, image, and likeness is, well, Steve, are we going to get the college football game? Not yet. Not yet, and that was one of the – they actually made some comments about that provision in the literature today and said at this point they're not recommending that we take an NLI uh, you know, approach towards video games. I, you know, I, I missed NCAA college football. That was the best thing about late summer, early fall, when you, before you got into the season is you could you know go ahead and start your dynasty and play out the year. It's the best thing about you know, the offseason. You know, for one year there we had that college baseball game too. And Dirty Noble was on that. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, it's unfortunate that things have been what they have been. But I also understand all about exploitation and, and things that go along with all that stuff. Uh, but I look forward to those things coming back. But, you know, uh, the bigger issue, not as it relates to you or I, but it, how it affects student-athletes, they are working towards legislation that will go into effect for 2021, 2022 school year. I believe it's correct. So you won't have anything to do with football this fall, okay? So your seniors are kind of out of luck. But they're going to allow them to make money through third parties that use their name, image, and likeness. Now, here's the, here's the kicker behind this. And there's a lot there's a lot of things right now they are still figured out. You can't have the student athlete posing in a Mississippi State uniform. And so that in and of itself kind of hurts the marketability uh, of the the media piece, you can't have you couldn't have had Dak Prescott out there holding the bulldog in a Mississippi State uniform and said, "Hey, come buy cars from us." You could have had Dak Prescott, but you can't have them dressed out in all maroon and white regalia with the Mississippi State insignia on there. And uh, so, what the one of the questions that kind of brings to mind for me: What does that mean for jerseys? What does that mean? for the kid that wants the Mississippi State jersey. You know, my initial uh, thought was, here's what they'll do, is you know, just like with NFL Pro Shop, you'll be able to go online and you'll be able to put the number and the name of any player that you want, and uh, you'll be able to get an officially licensed jersey. But based on what I have read so far, I don't think that's going to be the case. Because I don't think the university is going to license all those jerseys. I think that, they're, that all of a sudden it becomes a situation where they're almost employees of the school kind of marketing the brand of the school. And so that is something they'll have to kind of unpack as we get into these discussions. I mean, right now they're just basically saying, hey, listen, we're moving towards legislation. We're going to do something different. We're going to allow athletes to make some money on their name, image, and likeness through business opportunities. One of the things that I was concerned about, and I was glad to see, is let's say for an example, let's say... I'm just going to pick two players at random, but let's say for an example, and we'll go retroactive. Let's say you had Dak Prescott and Josh Robinson, both with opportunities. Now, back in that 2014 season, both Dak and Josh were very marketable commodities in the Mississippi State community. So let's say for an example that Dak has a bunch of opportunities, and so he can kind of pick and choose what he takes. So what prevents somebody from going to Josh Robinson, hey, listen, Josh, and, and perhaps maybe Josh is not the negotiator that Dak is. Maybe Dak has, you know, people in his family that are that are prepared to kind of negotiate these agreements. And let's say, okay, well, Dak, we're gonna give you fifty grand. Fifty grand for the, the two years or whatever. We're gonna do a two year marketing campaign and you're gonna be the face of, you know, I don't know, Bill Russell Ford. Well then somebody comes to Josh and says, Hey, you know, Josh, listen. I can't get you that, but uh, listen, I can get you at this car dealership for, I don't know, you know, maybe 10 grand. And so what worried me about that is exploitation is can you, you know, some student athletes, obviously, you know, it's one of those things when, you know, when you're 17 or 18, you know, 500 hours feels like an awful lot of money. $5,000 feels like life changing money. And when you're in college, perhaps it is, especially when your room and board and books and meals are paid for. Five grand can last you a long time. And so what safeguards are in place to ensure that student-athletes are not being exploited It's because of their financial situation. One of the things that they mentioned is rather than having the student-athletes go out and seek these opportunities is they would be able to hire an agent. An agent that is not in any way connected to professional sports opportunities. So there is going to be you know, perhaps a, a public relations type person that'll have they'll have these firms and they can probably represent, you know, several players from from each team to kind of seek out these opportunities. And so that is something that I think is is uh, it's probably an important piece of this. Is there will be an adult involved because you, if you go back and look at any any major scandal with an NCAA institution or a student athlete or anything, it's it's never really the kids. That are the problem. It's the grown folks. It's the adults that do the stupid things. It's the adults that go out and and uh, get get and arrange impermissible benefits and attempt to help their school. They arrange free meals or you know clothes or gifts, whatever. They do. It's the adults that do the things that are silly to kind of take advantage of these kids. And so, it would be nice to have somebody to kind of be a go-between to ensure that they're not being taken advantage of. One of the things that I that kind of struck me about this. And uh, let's take a little bit. Let, like, let's talk Leo Lewis, okay? You know the Leo Lewis thing with Ole Miss. You know he was the allegation was is that he accepted cash money from an Ole Miss booster. Well, if you put this name, image, and likeness thing into, into play here, all of a sudden you make that legal. Now he's probably just got to go stand there and they put a video camera in his face, and you you run you know a spot for a, a used car lot or whatever. And then all of a sudden you kind of open the gateway to allow these impermissible benefits to be much, almost legit. So now all of a sudden the NCAA says, well, you can't have any of this name image and likeness marketing as part of your recruiting pitch. Now here's what we have learned in life. The laws only apply to the law abiding. So if you've got somebody out there that's that's determined to cheat, because, you know, you know, The rules don't apply to cheaters. It's what makes them cheaters. And so no matter how much legislation you put in, there will always be people that are going to look to cut corners. And that's where I think this is where the NCAA has to be very, very, very heavy-handed because you're opening a Pandora's box here because now you're allowing booster contact. Now you're basically waving the white flag when it comes to, okay, well, boosters can contact this player and say, well, you know, I contacted this guy, but it was for my business. You know, I didn't contact him on behalf of, you know, our football program or, or, or our baseball program. I contacted him because I wanted to pursue a, a marketing relationship with this individual. You know, where in years past, you know, any, any contact between boosters and perfect, prospective student athletes was strictly prohibited. And so what's to stop, let's say for an example, and, and we'll just use Alabama because they're, they're, you know, kind of the evil empire, a lot of people's eyes, you know, like Mississippi, Alabama has no professional sports teams. So Alabama and Auburn are the biggest thing going. Alabama has, what, about a million and a half more people than Mississippi does? You've got some bigger markets. You've got some uh, greater marketing opportunities in Alabama. So let's say, for an example, let's say, you know what, Nick Saban goes in and says, hey, we'd like to offer you this scholarship, but we'd love for you to come be a member of the Crimson Tide family. Well, then, a couple days later, Let's say somebody else just reaches out and says, hey, listen, uh, you know, Joe Blow, listen, I know that you're considering going to LSU and Florida State and Alabama. If you come to Alabama, you know, I run this uh, you know, car dealership throughout the state, and uh, if you will come with us, we'll, we'll give you $100,000. We'll if you sign with Alabama, once you're on campus, we'll sign an agreement and uh, give you a $100,000 marketing campaign for your name, image, and likeness. That's going to be difficult to turn down. And now the NCAA is kind of clearing the way to make that legal. So now you don't have to go meet somebody in a park somewhere and get a brown paper bag with 10 grand in it. You can just sign a piece of paper and somebody writes you a check. Which brings up another issue. Now all of a sudden these people are independent contractors. So they're going to get a 1099. Well, where's the tax money going to come from? You can't take taxes out because then all of a sudden you make them employees. Well, then all of a sudden you've got to do employee benefits. And so they're going to have to consider these you know, student athletes as independent contractors. So they pay them 10 99 There's got to be some safeguards in place to make sure that we don't have players out here found guilty of tax evasion. There's a lot, there's a lot with this. And let's say, for an example, you find out some of that money uh, is not accounted for. And then let, let, who's to say that the ads even get run? You know, somebody might make a deal and say, listen, you know, I, I run this, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, this chain of little restaurants here in South Florida. And uh, we want you to be the face of our marketing campaign. Well, who's going to police that and find out if the print and TV ads ever got run? You know, so there's a lot of enforcement nightmares with all this, because now what you have basically done is opened the floodgates for m- multiple impermissible benefits. And for really unfettered access between boosters and student-athletes. That's something that, I don't, that kind of has to be worked out. Now, on its face, you look at this and say, you know what, student-athletes should be paid. And so here's the thing that I – here's where I agree in respect when it comes to some of that stuff. Okay, let's say for an example, if, uh, if you put a picture of Dak Prescott on the cover of the ticket brochure, and then you sell tickets. where you have used his name, image, and likeness for commerce. So now the way you correct that, of course, is where you just put, you know, kind of like they do now with the, the football uniform stuff—is you just you put a mannequin up there. It's a it's a paid model or whatever that might wear that uniform, but you don't you don't use Dak's picture. Which brings me back to the jersey thing. Let's let's say at Mississippi State. What, what if you just decided, you know what, we're only we going to license one jersey? So we're going to go ahead and retire the number 15 for Dak and Jake Mangum and you know Tierra McGowan, we're going to and Timmy Bowers. We're going to retire jersey number 15, and that's going to be our jersey number every year. We're just going to sell. We're going to officially license Mississippi State jerseys with the number 15 on them, and because we're not going to issue that number to anybody else, that that doesn't give anybody else any type of monetary considerations for their name, image, and likeness because you can't wear that number. And so we're just going to license that jersey. So any Mississippi State fan that wants a Mississippi State jersey will always get number 15. And so then you begin to think, okay, well, if they're not going to license all these other jerseys, well, how how does the long snapper make any money? Okay, well, we we know the quarterback's going to get paid. What about the long snapper? How do you make that fair? Then we get into the whole softball or soccer issue. Well, how many student athletes that play Title IX sports have a marketable image? Well, Victoria Vivians, Morgan William, they certainly did. You know, but what about, what about our second baseman over at the softball complex? So how do you make that fair and equitable? You say, well, you know, Steve, it's a free market enterprise. And, and I, I agree with that, too. But how do you make it equitable? for all student athletes. You know, one solution is to kind of like they do with the collective bargain agreement in Major League Baseball. You know, you everybody signs a contract and says, you know what, I give MLB permission to use my name, image, and likeness to market the sport. And then at the end of the year, there's a percentage of that money that is distributed to everybody that's a member of the Players Union, or the Players Association. You understand what I'm saying? And so I think it. If you're going to do it that way, you have to handle that at the NLI. When you sign the National Letter of Intent, you give the university and the NCAA permission to market your name, image, and likeness. And then everybody that's a member of that agreement benefits from it. And then you begin to say, well, yeah, but Steve, you know, we sold 10,000 Dak Prescott jerseys and we didn't sell any Hunter Bradley jerseys except for his friends and family. So why would Hunter Bradley make the same amount of money as Dak Prescott? Well, those are, those are the things that this working group has to kind of navigate through, is how do you make this fair and equitable for all student athletes? Now, should I benefit on uh, you know, the fact that they sell a bunch of Dave Murray jerseys? I, mean, I think you could make an argument So, say, you know what, well, Dave worked harder, is more talented, and has a more marketable image, so he should be compensated better. There's an argument for that, certainly, but how do you prevent these boosters from getting involved and making this part of the recruiting piece—that's the thing that I, be, I really think about. And people say, "Okay, well, you know, it's kind of the haves and the have-nots," but you know what? The gap is going to get even bigger if you have Alabama and LSU, and you know, LSU has the Saints down there. But let me share with you, somebody that lived in Louisiana for 16 years, 18 years, pardon me. That LSU is the biggest brand going in, say, Louisiana—the biggest brand going. You get up run the article Tax up there, they're mostly Cowboy fans up there. But everybody in the state cheers for LSU. And so having an LSU player, in many cases, is a better marketing opportunity for a business because everybody is passionate about LSU. And outside of Drew Brees and maybe Michael Thomas and a couple of other guys, there are not a lot of people around the state of Louisiana that you look at and say, oh, you know, I'm going to go buy my car because they advertise with so-and-so. But all of a sudden... You know, you put Joe Burrow on a billboard outside of a uh, you know, casino or something. Well, this is Joe Burrow approved. I think I'm going to go there. Those are the things you have to think about. You know, one of the questions that I had, too, is let's say you take a big pro sports city like Cincinnati. Well, does the University of Cincinnati all of a sudden have a better marketing opportunity because they're in a major metropolitan area? Whereas the folks at Old Miss and Mississippi State are not. Well, we don't have any pro sports here. But we also don't have millions of people in one city, you know, passing by one interstate interchange daily, twice a day. And then in that situation, you look at it and say, well, you know, those people have the Cincinnati Reds. They have the Cincinnati Bengals. And there are 53 people on that Cincinnati Bengals roster that probably have a much more marketable image and likeness than anybody at the University of Cincinnati in any sport. And so in that respect, you kind of look at it and say, you know, I don't know that they gain a real advantage because the way that I look at it from a Mississippi State point of view is how does this help Mississippi State or does it hurt Mississippi State? Well, as I said earlier, we don't have pro sports here, and so our college heroes, let's say for an example, Jake Mangum. I would venture to say over the course of the last couple of years, Jake Mangum, arguably the most recognizable college athlete in the state of Mississippi. You could certainly make a case for AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. Those guys had huge careers at Ole Miss. And so I'm sure there are some Ole Miss related businesses which said, I would love for those people to represent me. And so we don't have pro sports. Our heroes are college athletes by and large. And so we might have more of a marketable opportunity for them here. But we're not going to go head to head and beat Alabama. We're not going to beat Georgia when they've got, you know, people, they've got I'm sure they've got Atlanta business people that are just thinking, you know what, this is what we're going to do. So rather than, than having all this, uh, you know, backwoods, under-the-table, uh, you know, brown-bag drop-offs, now you've legitimized all of this and really kind of brought some people, I think, into the lives of the student-athlete that could be very detrimental. And one of the things, and I'm going to run through some of these, these uh, talking points from NCAA, because I think they're important to kind of go over as far as their mandate goes. Here's what they said. The purpose of all this is to ensure student athletes are treated similarly to non athlete students unless a compelling reason exists to differentiate. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. Very. Maintaining the priorities of education and the collegiate experience to provide opportunities for student athlete success. That sounds good in a press release. You know, I don't know what that has to do with name, image, or likeness. Ensuring that rules are transparent, focused, and enforceable, and facilitating fair and balanced competition. Really, that's the the whole crux of the whole thing there. How do you ensure that these rules are enforceable? How do you police this? How do you ensure that we haven't basically sanctioned paying players through boosters as part of the recruiting process? You know, and like many of you, I, I'm not as concerned about what happens when a student athlete gets here and spends a couple of years and works their way to starting lineup. But in many respects, this could kind of open up the wild, wild west when it comes to recruiting. Making clear the distinction between college and professional opportunities. I, I don't know how you make that distinction because of the fact that uh, you're basically assuring that amateur athletes are now paid as professionals other than the fact that they don't have a contract where they're paid for play. Making clear that compensation for athletics, performance, or participation is impermissible. What that basically means is no pay for play. So let's say for an example, hey, listen, Joe Blow, if you go out there and score a couple touchdowns against Auburn, I've got a big fat contract sitting here waiting for you. So we'll, we'll, we'll get you this marketing deal with uh, you know, this local beverage company. But how do you ensure that's not the case? How do you prevent that from happening? Those are the things that I kind of scratch my head. I don't have an answer, but I think it's one of those things you have to look at. You have to be very heavy-handed and say, if we find out this is happening, there's going to be major consequences. Enhancing the principles of diversity, inclusion, and gender equality. Again, that's just something that people put in there. You know, I, I, the, the gender equity thing is one of those things that I, that I find really interesting about all of this. Most Mississippi State fans have never been to a softball game. So how, how, how do those ladies benefit from the name, image, and likeness? Are, are we suddenly going to start buying a bunch of softball jerseys? And that's not to talk negatively about softball. It's just it's a non-revenue producing sport, and there's just not going to be a lot of opportunities for those young ladies to market themselves. So how do you make that equitable? I mean, and that's the thing, too, when you look at, you know, you, there is a huge, huge, huge disparity in scholarships. Huge Say well, you know, Steve, football and, and men's basketball um, makes all revenue, so they should get free scholarships. What you know, I, I think if we're going to introduce more money in this thing, then we make everybody full scholarship athlete. W- why don't we do part of that? You know, why didn't NCAA find a way? That, hey, let, let's take this name, image, and likeness situation here, and uh, let's use the the money collected for the NCAA to decrease scon- uh, scholarship disparity. Protect, this is the funniest one to me, protecting the recruiting environment and prohibiting inducements to select, remain, or a transfer to a specific institution. I'm going I'm to circle back to that one in just a minute here, because there, there are some things that I don't think people fully appreciate about the truth, image, and likeness and the potential with this immediate transfer thing that could be a real problem for schools like Mississippi State and others. And the board relied on a comprehensive report from the federal and state legislation working group to inform its recommendations. So what they're, what they're here's what they're trying to do. And people say, why are they involved, involved in the federal government? Well, they want federal oversight. They want a federal law to ensure that everybody is treated the same. So say for an example. So like I said, let's say California has a different compensation model than, say, the state of Texas does. Well, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'll just go play ball in California rather than going to play at Oregon because I can make more money there. Let's say the state of Oregon says, you know what, we're not going to allow state student athletes to be paid in our state, but California is going to do it. And so then you've got 50 different governorships out there that are basically uh, making plans to pay athletes or not pay athletes. And there is just not a one size fits all situation. That's why the federal government is involved in all this. If so there is one rule that applies to everybody. There's one set of rules that applies to everybody. That that's why it's important to have the uh, the Senate oversight involved in all this. Remind you guys too, Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show. Stand a man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely talented Susie, the whole crew there eager to get back to work and eager to see you guys face to face. But until you can go back in and see them and smile at them and wave from six feet away. You can order online. At campusbookmart.net, you need to go ahead and get outfitted for the fall. And you can do all that right there at campusbookmart.net. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And again, I say, Mom, Dad, nothing will make the kids happier. Listen, they have worked online, done their schoolwork. They've tried to be good around the house. Why not reward their efforts with a new Mississippi State shirt? Go ahead and take care of that today. And you know what? Mom, get one for Dad, too. He's doing his best. CampusBookMart.net, promo code BSR. Okay, so let's get into the top 10 list, and then we're going to get back to the transfer thing. And I'm going to show you how this all kind of meshes together and how, in some ways, it could be kind of a nightmare situation for G5 schools and many others. Today's top 10 list, you'll have to forgive me. I can't remember who sent this suggestion to me. Because we had the uh, we had the the Twitter outage thing last night. Somebody sent me uh, like three four different suggestions about movies, and I don't remember your name, so I apologize. But whoever DM me that yesterday, this is your list because I liked it. It's a top ten Tom Hanks movies, and there's a bunch of them. Man, this was a very difficult list to put together. Tom Hanks, one of America's treasures, uh, now a COVID nineteen survivor. But here's where we go, and here here are three. Great Tom Hanks movies that didn't make my list, top three, pardon me, top three honorable mentions, Sully, which is the one you know when he's the air pilot, uh, airplane pilot that uh, landed the, uh, the plane, I guess on the Delaware River or Potomac, whatever it was, in, in Washington, he was a hero, stayed all those people's lives, and uh, it was a movie kind of about the hearings and all that uh, ultimately exonerated him and uh, crowned him a hero. The Road to Perdition, really, it's a good movie. It's a much darker role for, for Tom Hanks, you know, where he's a hitman. And uh, it's one of those deals where it's it's a good revenge movie. It's a, uh, you know, it's kind of in the Charles Bronson theme without all the gore and violence. But it's uh, it's it's an interesting role for him. Castaway almost made the list. And there are I know a lot of people that love that movie. Uh, you know, Wilson, of course, the big co-star in the movie. Uh, really liked the movie. It was one of those things, too, that took when I began to watch it, it, it sucked me in right away. It's just one of those things that hooks your attention from the very beginning. Okay, so now let's get to the list. The most recent Tom Hanks movie that I've seen at the theater, it's number 10 on my list, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Very uplifting movie. You know, it's about Fred Rogers. And it uh, really makes you see that Fred Rogers was legit. You know what I'm saying? It's like you read other, these other things, and people say, well, you know, how how nice could Mr. Rogers really be? And you watch that movie and you kind of get it. Number nine, one of my favorites. As a matter of fact, I watched this here recently. Haven't seen it in probably ten years. But Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd, wonderful, funny movie. Kind of a remake of the old uh, '60s TV series Dragnet, where uh, you know Joe Friday is involved. It's just it, it it's a good time. Okay, it's a good time. And listen, don't judge us harshly because of the special effects for that snake weren't very great. Number 8 on my list is Apollo 13. Great, great film. Very well cast, you know, it's about the uh you know the lunar landing and all the things that went on behind that and uh it's it's I've read up, it's pretty it's pretty historically accurate. And so you kids, if you want to see that it wasn't a uh What's something that we just, you know, shot on a uh, side stage studio in Hollywood, you can go watch Apollo 13. Number seven, a movie that I absolutely love. I could have had it a little bit higher on the list, but there's so many great Tom Hanks movies, I get it. The Post. And uh, I've had that on another list here recently. And uh, I had mentioned, you know, that it was about the Watergate papers. I was wrong. It was just me shooting from the hip. It was all about some Vietnam papers and things like that and, and kind of the directives of how we kind of, waged war in, in, uh, in Vietnam, and, uh, but the, the bottom line is it was really one of those freedom of the press type deals, and it's the guy that writes and has had to kind of deal with some of that stuff in the past. I thought it was kind of a triumph for journalism, and there are a lot of people today that, that are reporters posing as journalists, and there are a lot of people that go write, a, they write a story about a ball game, They tell you what happened, but it's the same story that everybody else got, and then they call themselves journalists. They're, they're really not. And so journalism is going out there and telling the stories that people don't want told. And this is certainly one of them. Love the movie. Number six, co-star with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can. True story by Frank Abagnale. He's one of the greatest uh, counterfeiters of all time. It's a big it's a check-cutting movie at its core. And so he would fake these checks and then he would you know, basically live all around the world that's uh, so back in the days before we had all this technology, and it was much easier to do that. And so he 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 chased him and then eventually um, catches him. But uh, it is a phenomenal movie. And, again, you can read up on uh, Frank Abagnale online and find that uh, this is really kind of the story of his life and him running from the FBI. Number five, a league of their own. I'm a big baseball guy, probably one of the biggest quotes of all time of a baseball movie, there's no crying in baseball. Gina Davis in the movie Great it's a Catcher. Go check it out. Number four, Sleepless in Seattle. I am not a big romantic comedy fan, but uh, this one, and you got male or kind of you know partner movies, I guess. But Sleepless in Seattle, I thought was really good. It's a good wholesome family type show. You know, his son's involved, he writes a letter and that sort of stuff, and uh, it's a great movie. And uh, really, one of those movies too. That uh I think made Tom Hanks really one of America's favorites. I think that's one of those movies you looked at and everybody kind of saw him as the guy next door. Number three, Saving Private Ryan. Uh one of the best war movies of our generation. I guess it was the first eighteen minutes when they were storming the beaches at Normandy and everything. It was it was crazy how good that was. And then of course they're out there and they're they're trying to track down uh, Private Ryan, because his brothers have died in the war, and they want to send him home. And, and uh, if you haven't seen it, you know that there was a pretty famous cameo of a very popular actor at the time that was Private Ryan. We didn't know that he was in the movie until we saw the movie. And I remember when they when he stepped out and you saw who he was, everybody was like, oh, man, this is great. Number two on my list is Big. And uh, this came out when I was just a kid, too. And so... Those are those things too. Knowing what I know now about adulthood, I would have stayed a kid longer. Uh, being a teenager wasn't exactly the funnest that it could have been, but uh, you look back on all that, you know. And uh, the movie Big is one of those things too, where you kind of figure out the age. You are is the age you need to be. You know, it's about appreciating today and uh, the little things you take for granted. You're like, man, I wish, man, I wish I could be grown and having to deal with all this other stuff and not being the, the challenges of being a kid. And then you you, you go do this other stuff and. You find out being an adult's not all that it's made out to be. And number one on the list, I, one of the greatest movies of all time is Forrest Gump. I don't know how anybody could uh, could not like the movie Forrest Gump. I always joke with other people. You know, it's like I've, I've got a chapter coming up in the next book with Bill McCrillis. And Bill McCrillis was the super fan here at Mississippi State. And uh, I, I joke with a friend of mine. I said he kind of lived the Forrest Gump life. Now, what I mean by that is, if you look, Forrest Gump was involved in every major issue in the 1960s and 70s. You know, he was involved in Vietnam and the, the protest on the mall in Washington. and He met Lyndon Baines Johnson. He played for Alabama. You know, he had he all these brushes with greatness, and, and was kind of oblivious to it. And uh, it's just, it's a great deal. It's a great movie. So that's a top ten list. If you have ideas for a top ten list... Please message me. We'll give it an opportunity. And, again, my lists are always correct. Yours are always wrong. This is America. You have the right to be wrong, and many of you exercise it very regularly. Okay, so let's get into this one-time transfer thing. You know, I am all about the kid that hadn't played. We talked about this recently, like with Devin Butts and uh, Alliance King, that essentially wasted a year of eligibility here at Mississippi State this year. And so now they transfer, and so now I'm like, okay, so he's got to sit again because he just played a handful of minutes this year. I, I don't think that's right. And so I have touched on this before. As long as both schools agree with the transfer, I think they should be able to. Here's the big rub from all of that. And I touched on this last time, but i spent some more time talking about this. Let, let's say for an example, let's say the, the Mac Player of the Year or the Southland Conference Player of the Year or the Conference USA Player of the Year. Let, let's go with other miss. Okay, let's say um, let's say you have a kid from Mississippi, and he blossoms on the college level. Maybe state and all missed on Auburn, and he goes to Southern Miss, over Tulane and UAB. Let's say he gets to Southern Miss, and he lights the woods on fire. And then you know his sophomore year or junior year, all of a sudden he's the conference USA Player of the Year. Well, now all of a sudden. If we allow him the one time transfer, what what's to stop him from going to LSU and an LSU person kind of working through third parties and says, hey, you know what? If you're willing to transfer to LSU, once you get down here, we'll give you a, uh, you know, we'll give you an endorsement from the Tabasco company and put you in an ad marketing campaign and give you 50 grand. What's to prevent that from happening? N- nothing. There is Nothing to prevent that from happening. If all this legislation passes as it is, there is nothing to stop that from happening. So then all of a sudden, then, then let's say all these kids that make the All-Mac team, every your first team All-Mac that are underclassmen. Well, if you've got an opportunity to entice them to leave their schools and they can transfer immediately without having to sit out, what's to stop basically shopping for players at the G5 level and say, well, you know, once you come here, because we can pay you. You know, let's, let's say if you're playing at, uh, you know, playing at Louisiana Tech and you're in Ruston, how many I mean, how many advertising opportunities do you have in Ruston? I mean, do you really think that there's a lot of people that, that want to have a Louisiana Tech athlete representing them outside of maybe the I-20 corridor? The answer to that question is no. Most people wouldn't even recognize them on site. And then when you factor in they can't use the university's logo or insignia or uniform, it almost seems like a you know a waste of everybody's time, but let's say that kid can leave there, leave Louisiana Tech, and go to LSU. What well, that's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. And again, there's nothing. I mean, right now, think about this: the NCAA couldn't even find out about the Christian Dawkins stuff without the help of the FBI. And so, when you introduce third parties to, and, and there's there was a, a recent podcast I listened to. About uh, about the old stuff about saying they offered up the text messages. Let me let me let me share this with you, okay? Anybody that works under the supervision of the NCAA, whether that be a player, a student athlete of any sort, a trainer, anybody that is sanctioned by the NCAA, whether it be a coach, a football staffer, you have a duty to cooperate. You can't tell the NCAA that say, hey, listen, we need to see your phone records, and you can't say no. You can't see them. Because then what happens is then you're suspended without pay until you provide those records. And you say, well, Steve, I don't understand how that's possible. It's in the contract. You're part of an organization and you, you play by their rules. If that's the rules and say, listen, we've got to be able to look at your phone records. You've got to produce them. You're in the middle of an NCAA investigation and say, hey, okay, listen, we're going to be here on this day and we're going to need these documents. You have to provide those documents. It is in the school's best interest, it's in the individual's best interest to cooperate because you have, you are contractually obligated to a duty to cooperate with NCAA enforcement staff. And people have, you know, kind of use that to say, well, we know we should have done this. This whole lawyer and opt thing is, well, you know, okay. no. It's not what you think it is. And so, but here's what happens. When you introduce these third parties into it, that aren't under the supervision of the NCAA, then, then all of a sudden they don't have access to those phone records. And, and they, they, just like I for an example, if somebody, you know, let's say you're running a business. Let, let's say you, you know, let's, let's, let's say that you wanted to hire an, an LSU gymnast and you're running a, uh, you know, a, a gym school or a tumbling school or whatever somewhere in New Orleans. And they say, hey, listen, we need to see your phone records. You can tell them, you know, to go jump in a lake. You might not be able to hire an NCAA athlete for your marketing campaign, but the bottom line is, is you, you you don't have a duty to cooperate as a free citizen. You know, if you're outside of the, the the purview of the NCAA, you don't have to do that. And so, that's the thing about this whole thing about being enforceable or unenforceable. Let I me mean, just say, for an example, let's say that, you know, let's, let's say Southern Miss. I can't remember the kid's name, but they, they had a kid a couple years ago that uh, was an absolute stud. You know, what's to say that he didn't go play with, uh, you know, Dustin Skelton up in the Cape Cod leagues? And they become friends and trade phone numbers, and they check on each other every time. And, and again, let's just say, for an example, one day, you know, Dustin Skelton gets, uh, you know, get, hey, said, uh, Skelly, what, listen, we, we really need to get that kid up here. Why don't you call him and see if he's interested in transferring? Well, then let's say Skelton calls the kid and says, hey, listen, hey, man, I hope you're doing well. I don't know if you if you're looking to transfer, but listen, we need an outfielder here at Mississippi State, and you could take advantage of that one-time transfer rule, and you can come right on up here and play immediately. Well, there's no way because you're not going to record those conversations. You have no idea because you can always go back and say, "Oh, who was just calling a check on it, man? See how the season was going?" Because they became friends out in the Cape Cod League. There's no way to enforce that because it's not because it's not going to be Nick Saban calling this kid and offering him a big marketing campaign and a one-time transfer. That's not going to happen. It's going to be third parties. And so, again, when you introduce these third parties into the equation, you're basically allowing more room for them to circumvent the legislation of the NCAA. Those are the challenges that this working group and the NCAA face in the coming months. And they're, again, committed to kind of getting this thing resolved in January. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, there is still a lot that has to be taken care of. There's a lot of discussions that have to be done. And there's got to be some safeguards put in place. But the, again, the thing that I go back to, and uh, we mentioned Leo Lewis earlier. You know, Leo Lewis agreed to term for the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday. Signed a contract. He'll get an opportunity to make team there, hopefully. But uh, don't ever let me miss an opportunity to remind you, too, that Leo Lewis was deemed a credible witness by the NCAA enforcement staff, the NCAA Committee on Infractions, and the NCAA Appeals Committee. And those three organizations are made up of three different groups of people. And the only people that work for the quote NCAA are the enforcement staff. You get professors and university presidents and people like that on the Committee on Infractions, the Appeals Committee. It's a completely different deal. But if you go back to the heart of that situation with the impermissible benefits, by allowing these things to take place and, and bringing unfettered access of our, of our, between booster contact and student-athletes, you're basically making what happened in that situation legal. Simple as that. They can say, hey, listen, we're just going to hire this guy to do some ads for us. We're going to have him go do some personal appearances for us. We'll have him smile and take pictures with kids, and we'll give him $10,000. Or we'll give him $5,000 or whatever. That's what you're kind of opening the door on. And so that's why everybody's got to be careful, because it's not as simple as, well, if we sell their jersey, they should make a little money on it. It's not that simple. If it was that simple, it'd be very easy to handle. It'd be very easy to handle. But that's not the case. And so there are a lot of safeguards that have to be put in place. There are a lot of things that, because here's the thing, too. It's not, it's not the blue bloods that have to be protected. It's kind of the also-rans. It's the San Jose states. It's a New Mexico state. You know what? Their vote matters just as much as Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Because they're a member of this institution. They're a member of this organization, too, the NCAA. It's just like with the college baseball stuff. You know, nobody feels sorry for Mississippi State, LSU, Florida State. Nobody's going to say, hey, listen, you know, we can barely fund baseball here at Bowling Green, and you guys want us to, you, you want us to allow you to hire a third paid assistant coach you want us to take your volunteer assistant? You know we, we've got we got kids out here. We we can barely buy uniforms, and you guys want us to do this, and so that, that's why you understand there's there's a balance of power in this whole thing. It's not always fair to our school, but you got to look at the bigger issue here, and that's one thing that you know you begin to look at this stuff with, you know, with baseball, and uh, you know, Steve Wolfong had an interesting question earlier. I said who who are some non-football and men's basketball stars that would have made a fortune. So in their name, image and likeness, you don't think Jake, Jake, Mangum could probably make as much money as a Mississippi state baseball player than he could in minor leagues, probably more so, you know, we, we have a real, you know, love for our baseball players around here. And I, you know, I remember the, and we've talked about it before, like the 89 team, the 85 team, there was just a mystique around those players. Everybody wanted a piece of them. And so that's a part of this thing too. Baseball is going to be more marketable here, but this is going to be something that uh, that Im- impacts every single school. And so as a result, you're going to have a lot of people out there that haven't maybe thought this thing through and think, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Let's go ahead and vote on this. And then two, three years down the road, when every time they have a player that develops and turns himself into a Power 5 player and elects to transfer and then moves to, a, you know, let's say a guy leaves uh, – you know, Bowling Green and goes to Ohio State and all of a sudden there's pictures on the billboard somewhere and you can't offer that same opportunity at Bowling Green, and all of a sudden people are going to want to redo. That's why you have to take some time to work this thing out right now because it will devastate the G5 because you're basically going to you know, basically open up free agency and it'd be paid free agency in many respects. And so those are the things you think about and it's like everybody complains and, and gripes about the, the SEC dominating the NFL draft. That gap is only going to get bigger if these legislative pieces pass as, they, as they're written, because then every kid that's worth their salt in the G5 will basically be recruited again through third parties to transfer to a Power 5 institution. And you could say, well, you know, Steve, if, that, if that's their station in life and if they have played their way into that opportunity, they should be able to enjoy that. You know what? I can't really argue against that. But what protections are there for the school that helped that player develop, and the people that were there with him when nobody offered him an opportunity besides them? And so there has to be some safeguards in place to protect the schools. That's going to do it for today. Hope you guys are, are doing well. And uh, there's so many things. Again, it, the NCAA thing is very, very complicated. There's a lot of moving pieces to all this. I want what's best for the student-athletes, but not at the expense of the schools that gave them the opportunity to begin with. There has to be, again, the NCAA has to prevent predatory practices from some of these bigger schools that would prey on these smaller schools and smaller markets and may not be able to offer these marketable opportunities. So there is a Pandora's box that uh, we're about to open, and uh, hopefully we can maybe contain it within the house rather than just kind of letting it get out and affecting the entire sport. But uh, there are some big things that are being discussed. And, again, it's not as simple. It's just, you know, hey, they should be able to, you know, if we're going to market their their number, their jersey, they should profit. Because I agree with that. But when you begin to think about the possibility, I apologize, I had a little bit of a technical difficulty there. But the bottom line is nothing's approved yet. Just keep, kind of keep that on your mind and understand kind of be watching for that it's going to be several months forces all resolved but it's going to move like a glacier for a while but once it hits it's going to change everything in college sports until next time let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live